Well, remain standing with me as we go now to the book of Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. As we put our series to the end now, our series just keeps swimming, learning all about perseverance. We're going to go to Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, just 1 through 5. And the Word of God says this, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring them out for public trial after the Passover. In verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Let me say that one more time. The church was earnestly praying to God. The church was praying. Let's pray. Father, bless this word. Help us to understand the true meaning of prayer. Why we do it. Why you created it. And Father, forgive us when we take prayer lightly. And Father, I just pray right now that you would use me to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we close this series today on perseverance. Just keep swimming. All about perseverance. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of perseverance and prayer. How many of you, by a show of hands, are praying for something right now? Need a prayer? Okay, all of you. Okay, great. When I studied this scripture in Acts chapter 12, It really surprised me because before in Acts chapter 1 all the way to Acts chapter 12, it looked like God was really doing a wonderful thing. You see, in Acts chapter 1 all the way to Acts chapter 12, we see that Saul got saved and became Paul, and we saw that the church was growing. Peter preached one sermon, and the Bible says over 5,000 people got saved. The church was growing. Churches were being added. The Gentiles got saved. The word of God was spreading all around the nation, all around the country, all around the world. It seemed like God was saying, you know what? Now we're on the winning side. I died. I resurrected. The church has started. People are getting saved. They're getting baptized. Everyone's getting healed. God is moving. And you can imagine, at least I do, the enthusiasm of the Christians, the enthusiasm of the church, because everything seemed to be going according to plan. Have you ever been in that place in your life where you're seeing, okay, this is a good season in my life. Show me your hands. This is a good season. Some of you don't even have your hands up, so I'm going to really pray for you. But see, this is that moment that everything is going according to plan until Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, King Herod wanted to please the Jews and wanted to please the people, so he started persecuting the Christians. And when Herod saw that this made everyone happy, he really started attacking the church. And the Bible says that even James, the brother of John, was captured. And they got the sword and they cut his head off. And when this happened, the church went into a panic. The church went into such severe persecution that it really looked like everything was about to end. It really looked like their good days were behind them. It looked like God had just forgotten them. They couldn't understand why God was allowing this to happen. And all of a sudden, without warning, all the Christians were being attacked. Families were being thrown into prison. People were being murdered for their faith. And the church seemed to be over. 
It seemed like everything they believed in, everything they worked for, everything they hoped for was down to nothing. And it gets worse. Because the Bible says that all of this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you say, well, Pastor, why would that make things worse? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 16.3, God said that He wanted the people of Israel to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you're probably thinking, well, what is all of that about? In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 3, the Bible says, Do not eat with bread made from yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. You see, God had instituted this feast of unleavened bread to always be something to celebrate. To celebrate the day that God delivered them from Egypt. To celebrate how God so unexpectedly delivered them that the women had no time to even put yeast inside the bread. So God said, from now on, once a year, I want you to eat bread without yeast to celebrate how quickly and how unexpectedly I do miracles and how I deliver people. And while the people were celebrating how great God is, while people were celebrating the power of God and miracles, they were going through some of the hardest trials of their life. How do you celebrate God when life is so hard? How do you celebrate the deliverance of God when you're in bondage? How do you celebrate the God that does miracles when He's not even doing anything right now? And the people are tested to celebrate God when life is at their worst. They were to celebrate that God was a God that delivers from bondage. That God was a God that listens and sees the affliction. But at that moment in Acts chapter 12, it really didn't look like God even cared. It really seemed like God had abandoned them. And God wanted them to celebrate something that right now it doesn't seem to be relevant. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. And this is what God wanted them to remember. The Bible says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. Let's stop right there. Because for 400 years, the people were in bondage. The people were enslaved. And God said, I have. Indeed, without a doubt, I've seen their misery. If misery best describes your life right now, God sees you. God sees the misery you're in. God sees the misery you have in your life. And God not only said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. God says, I have heard them crying. Did you know that every tear that comes out of your eye is heard by God? Every time you go to sleep at night alone and you're crying because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, every time you shed a tear, God says, I hear you. I hear when you cry. Whatever your reason for crying, you're crying over pain, you're crying over the past, you're crying over stress, you're crying over the future, you're crying over worry, you're crying over betrayal. But God said for every time you cry, I listen. I hear you. I see you when you're misery. I hear you when you cry. He says, I hear them crying out because of their slave drivers. God said this, this is what most amazes me about God. I'm concerned about their suffering. Did you know that God 
concerns himself about you? And God says, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hephthites, Jebusites. A lot of ites. But I want you to catch something. God saw that the people were miserable. God heard them crying. God heard them crying out, which is a sign of prayer. God heard the people crying out to God in their pain. You want to know what really bothers me about the book of Exodus in this passage? In Exodus chapter 3, they cried out to God. Look at what happened in Exodus chapter 5, verse 6 through 10. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. We'll require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy, and that is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let me explain something. The Bible says in verse 9, make the work what? Harder. For the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to us. And this is what bothers me about this passage of Scripture. The Bible says that the people cried out to God. So I imagine that in their affliction, in their confusion, in their fear, in their pain, they're saying, God, help us. God, do something. God, deliver us. God, I'm in pain. I'm crying. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm tired of this. That's in Exodus chapter 3. But in Exodus chapter 5, things get harder. Are you paying attention? You mean to tell me I cried out to God and I actually, things in my life got more difficult? I cried out to God and things got harder. I cried out to God and things got more complicated. I cried out to God. He sees my pain. He sees my misery. And instead of helping me, instead of making things easier, He makes things harder. And I know that this is a picture of so many people. You've trusted in God. You've cried out to Him. But it seems like God is only making things harder for you. And God saw their pain. God heard their cry. Things did get harder. But see, what the people of Egypt, while they were driving them with pain and struggle, what the Israelites did not realize was that God already had a plan. That God was already talking to Moses. That God was already telling Moses, go and deliver my people. That God already had mapped out a plan to get the people into a promised land. That God was already working to make things better. God was already working a miracle. But see, the problem is that while you're crying out to God, you don't see the miracles. But just because you don't see the miracles happening, it doesn't mean God is up to something. God is up to something good, but sometimes we're under so much stress, we don't even see it. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And when God said, I want you to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God wanted them to remember not only that He sees your misery, not only that He hears you cry, but that when things are at their worst, when things are harder, and make no sense that God is always up to a miracle. That God is always working something beyond what you can understand. It means that God is always in control. 
It may seem like right now you're saying, Pastor, I feel like I want to disagree with you because life has gotten harder for me. I do cry out to God. I do pray. But it seems like every time I pray for provision, my dishwasher breaks. And every time I pray for my child, things get worse. And every time I pray for this, something worse happens. And I'm almost scared to pray because I'm afraid that every time I pray and I cry out to God, I get bad news. And God says that means I'm up to something good. Life can get so difficult. Life can get so painful. It seems like people like Pharaoh make it harder for us. Maybe you're working with a Pharaoh, your boss. You're married to one. Or you're living next to one, he's your neighbor, whatever it is. When life gets harder because of people, God is still in control over them. And it may seem like he has no plan. But see, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was God reminding the people to always celebrate who God is. He is a God of deliverance, in spite of everything being so hard on you. That's what made this situation in Acts 12 so difficult. Because the people were supposed to celebrate the deliverance of God, the power of God, the mercy of God, and yet the entire church is being persecuted and killed and burned alive and imprisoned. They're supposed to celebrate, but when James died, the brother of John, I believe that this brought the church to a whole other level of hopelessness. Because the Bible clearly illustrates that while Jesus had his ministry, James and John were close to him. And if anyone you thought would survive would be James because he was close to Jesus. And if God allowed James to die, it means we're not going to come out of this. We're all going to die. And the people were in panic. They hid. They locked the doors. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They lived in constant fear and worry. Is this going to be our last day? Are my children going to be taken? Is my husband or my wife going to be killed? What's going to happen to our church? Where is God? God, we're crying out and nothing's happening. And God is saying, exactly. Because I want you to remember that when things are at their worst, I want you to persevere and believe that I am still God and I'm still in control. Remember that when things are at their worst, I still work miracles. What I love about this passage is that it teaches us that perseverance is most tested when life is at its worst and all you got is prayer. And sometimes in life, prayer is all you have. And sometimes in life, prayer is all you need. And James died. But see, let me show you the faith of this church. James died. Everyone say it. James is dead. Come on, say it with me. James is dead. He's dead. And then they got Peter now. Now, let's be honest. We're in church. If, if James is dead, and now they got Peter, how many of you are still thinking, wow, God is good. God is good. Glory to God. They got Peter. Oh, praise him. What are you thinking? It's over. We all going to die. Because if, if God let James die, now he's going to let Peter die. He's going to let me die. But church, what I love about the church here is that even though James died, and now they have Peter, I don't know who, but someone in that church said, let's pray. Had it been me, I would have been praying for what? James is dead. 
Why pray now? It's over. Let's just count our losses. Let's enjoy our final meal. James is dead. Why bother praying? But someone in that church said, let's pray. And this is a true demonstration of perseverance because they did not allow the experience of the past to stop them from praying in their present situation. They did not allow the fact that James was dead to stop them from praying for Peter. And there's a lot of us, if we're honest enough, we have stopped praying for things because in our past experiences we said, well, if that didn't work out, why would this work out? And if that didn't happen for me, why would I even bother praying? But see, I want to tell you that all of us here in this church, we have a James experience. You know what a James experience is? Is when you prayed for something, but it didn't happen the way you thought it would. A James' experience is when you really believe God was going to do it, but he did not. A James' experience is a failed expectation. It's a broken dream. It's an unanswered prayer. A James' experience is when you thought God was on your side and it was going to work out and things got worse. And a lot of times during our James' experiences, we stop praying and stop believing. We stop going to God for impossible miracles because we say, the last time I tried, it failed. But someone in this church said, even though James is dead, we're going to pray for Peter because God is still in control and God is still sovereign and God is still God. And they kept praying. They didn't, the Bible says in verse 4, let's read that. After arresting him and putting him in prison, handing him over to the guard to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers, Herod intended to bring him out to public trial after Passover. But look at verse 5. The Bible says in verse 5, but the church, he was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying. That's it. But the church prayed. They prayed. When I read that, I, I actually thought to myself, I said, what would my church do? What would my church do? I, I wonder if, if I were captured and killed, would you guys still have the faith to pray for forward fellowship? I wonder after the worst and hardest experience of our church, would we still have the faith to fall on our knees and say, God, help us? The Bible says, but the church prayed. It didn't say, but the church got bitter and the church got discouraged and the church quit and the church resigned and the church gave up. The Bible says, but the church Pray. No matter what you're going through, we need more churches to pray. No matter what our country is going through, but the church pray. And your marriage is in crisis, but the church pray. But I'm sick, but the church pray. But my child is in, in crisis. The church prayed. And the reason I wanted to close this series on prayer is because we don't pray enough we kind of just think things are going to fall into chance and let's hope no we pray and prayer seems so simple and innocent and we don't do it and prayer is such a gift from God because it's that one thing that God gave us to remind us we have access to God through prayer. And yet we get too discouraged to pray. We get too busy to pray. We excuse and say, I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to talk? You know how to pray. We complicate prayer. But prayer is so simple that the Bible says that even King Nebuchadnezzar, he was living in sin. He was a wild man. And instead, of, and he just looked up to God. And God restored him like that. 
We don't pray enough. And some of you, you're wasting your time trying to figure things out that can only happen through prayer. You're wasting your, your life on fear and worry when prayer is all you need. The reason that prayer is so important because whatever you pray about, you're literally surrendering it to God. And in the Bible, when you surrendered something to God, baby, it changed. Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. That word anything, interesting enough in the Greek, is the word madaisi. It means no one, no thing. You know by God using the word madaisi, He literally means it covers every area of your life. Let me prove this to you. If you're anxious right now and worried and stressed and burdened, I guarantee it's one of two areas of your life. Or three areas. Number one, you're anxious right now because of a person or people. People that are making your life harder. People that are doing things that are hurting you. People that are stressing you out. People that you have allowed them to rob you of your peace. And one of the reasons you're anxious today is because you're saying, I don't know what I'm going to do about this person and this person's stressing me out and this person's doing this and this person's doing that and it's someone you're married to, someone you work with, someone you're raising, someone you go to church with, your neighbor, your friend, a stranger. But see, sometimes we get anxious because of people. Amen? How many of you can say, I, raise your hand, that's you right now, people. All right, God, you know what God says to that? Stop. Stop it. Why? Because God says, uh, yeah, I control them too. Remember when Pharaoh was making the life of the Israelites impossible and harder? You know that the Bible says that God moved in the heart of Pharaoh? He turned his heart because, you know, those people think they're the boss, they're in control, but God laughs and says, man, I could just turn your heart like this. And you're anxious about someone in your life. Maybe it's not someone causing you stress, but maybe you're anxious about a person. Maybe it's a loved one. It's a child. Someone that's living in sin and rebellion. You're saying, what am I going to do about them? What am I going to do about them? How are they going to ever come to the Lord? Are they ever going to get saved? And you're anxious and you're worried about a person that's making wrong choices. And you're thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? How can I restore this? And God says, stop it. Can I tell you, can I be honest? Let me put my sermon this way so you can know it's not in my notes. People don't deserve your peace. They don't. People are not deserving of your joy. People are not worth a lick of your time of stress and worry and anxiety and just all this panic. People are not worth that. Give it to God. Let me continue now. You're worried about people, anxious. Or maybe you're worried about something. This could be a thing like an illness. There's a thing in your life that's causing you to worry. By God saying the word medici in the Greek, he literally means, I don't want you to worry about a single person in your life. Or a single thing. Be anxious from a dicey. Nothing. Nothing. Well, what about God says nothing? What about this? Nothing. But God, what about that? Is that a thing? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. So what do I do when this is happening? They're doing this and saying that. And what am I going to do about this and that and that thing and this thing? And especially now during December, goodness, Christmas, that's coming. 
and all this panic and worry and anxiety. And man, I don't know why, but I watch the news and I love the news, but I, I leave the news with anxiety. And I'm like, what's going to happen? And, and gas prices and inflation and Afghanistan and Biden and this and everything's expensive. Have you seen the price of eggs? I think I'm doing groceries tomorrow and I'm worried. Amen. Pray for me because I'm going to Walmart. You know the devil shops there too. And I'm on a budget. So I'm like, what's going to happen? And I know it's funny, but you guys are just as crazy. Things didn't work out in your life. God said, no, what's going to happen? What's next? What about this? What about that? And, and I can't sleep at night. Listen, stop. Nothing means nothing. And God says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. And petition, you know what a petition means? Request to God. Give God a request. Lord, this is what I would like. This is what I think I need. But Lord, I'm giving it to you. I love it because the Bible says that your situation here changes by prayer. It doesn't say but in everything by panic, by stress, by screaming, by yelling, by anger. No, it says everything by what? Prayer. I think it's so easy, but we complicate it. God says, I don't want you living in anxiety. I want you to pray about everything that has you disturbed. And while you do it, would you do it with thanksgiving? Oh, great. Now I've got to be thankful. With Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but my Thanksgiving was a little stressful. <laughs> but even then, you always have a reason to give God thanks. And he says, present your request to God. And God promises you this. This is a promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. God says, when you live through prayer, I will give you my peace. Not just peace. He said, God's peace. You know what the difference is between my peace and God's peace? My peace comes when the war is over. My peace comes when the problem is solved. My peace comes when I get the answers. My peace comes when everything is going my way. The difference between my peace and God's peace is that God's peace is everlasting. God's peace is non-circumstantial. It means that everything might be chaotic and crazy and everything is upside down and it's a mess. And when you look at God right now, God will not be panicking. God is on the throne, in control, relaxing. Just relaxing. If God will give you a glimpse right now of heaven and he would for one second allow you to see him, you know what will, you will not see? You will not see God going, oh my God, what am I going to do? Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? What if, no, you know what God's doing? Nothing. He's not worried. God's not stressed out about the thing you're stressed out about. God's not afraid of the thing you're afraid of. God says, I want to give you a piece of my peace. I want you to be able to go through life and have setbacks and struggles and suffering and mistreatment, but I want you to go through life with peace, knowing that I'm in control. You know how that happens? By prayer. Whatever you pray about, you let it go. You stop stressing it. See, you can't allow your experiences of the past to stop you from praying for the impossible. And while you're praying, 
Let me tell you what happens and why perseverance in prayer is so difficult. Because there's something that it's really not mentioned a lot in church, but I want to teach you this principle. You guys ready? It's called the in-between. The in-between is the, the crisis and the breakthrough. The trial and the miracle. The setback and the blessing. It's when you're in trouble, but God comes through. But here's the problem. There's an in-between. You don't see it. What's in between my hands right now? You can't see it. This is what faith looks like. This is when perseverance is tested. It's from the time you're going through a crisis from before and after you get the miracle. That time between is where the devil works his best. Let me give you an example. Jesus died on what day? Don't say Easter. Literally, what day? Friday, right? Not complicated. He died on Friday. What happened on Sunday? Resurrection. What happened on Saturday? What happened? What does the Bible say? Nothing. You want to know where the devil did his best? When did the disciples run? When did they hide? When did they doubt? When did they have faith and lose faith? When did they live in fear? Saturday. The in-between. It's that time, the in-between is where you, you're in the trial and you're on your way to a breakthrough, but that in-between time is when you can't see God working. You can't see God doing anything. And life is getting harder. Imagine that you get a seed and you plant it and you cover it in dirt and you water it and you give it enough sunlight and you know that one day it's going to break through the soil, it's going to produce fruit, it's going to grow, it's going to be a blessing. But see, the in-between season is when you can't see any of it. And just because you don't see the seed breaking and growing underneath everything, it's happening, but you don't see it in the surface. And this is why our faith, we lose our faith and struggle because in the surface of everything we're going through, you're not going to see God working. You're not going to see the prayers being answered. You're not going to see the miracles, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. But when you're in the in-between, you're saying, God, help! God, I can't do it anymore! God, I'm going to give up! And God says, you're right there. Let me prove this to you. While they were praying, this church was in the in-between. There's a lot of people in the Bible that were in the in-between. Abraham was an old man. God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have a son one day. It's going to be a miracle. You know what happened in between that time? He gave up and had Ishmael. Thus came the Taliban. Thanks, Abraham. <laughs> the in-between. Lazarus died. Jesus was on his way to resurrect them. But these people were the in-between. And they got mad at Jesus. Had you been here sooner, he wouldn't have died. It stinks by now. Don't even bother. You know why? They were in the in-between. When Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, and he was going up that mountaintop. Abraham didn't even know it, but on the other side of that mountain, the ram was walking up to be sacrificed. You see, even though you don't see it, doesn't mean it's not happening. And that's why we pray. In Acts chapter 12, the church was literally in between. They're praying. But look at verse 7 through 11. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared 
and light shone in the cell. Now, I want to break this down to you, but I want you to help me preach this. All right, you ready? All right, I want to ask you a question every time I read this. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and light shone on the cell. Did the church know it? He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Did the church know it? Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off. Did the church know it? And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Did the church know it? Peter followed him out of the prison. Did the church know it? He had no idea that the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was just seeing a vision. Did the church know it? They passed the first gate. Did the church know it? The second guard. Did the church know it? Come on, keep. Don't give up. Come on. No. He came up to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened by itself. Did the church know it? He went through it. Did the church know it? A little happier, Jay. Come on. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. He was free. Did the church know it? Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me. Did the church know it? They didn't know it. They didn't know it. On one side of the church is praying. And if you were in that home with that church, you know what you would have seen? Nothing. You would have been wondering, is God listening? Is Peter going to die? Are we wasting our time? And little did they know in the in-between that while they were praying an impossible prayer to the unseen eye, God was working a miracle. Because just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Can I tell you four prayers? Five prayers that I want to pray over your life this morning. The Bible says, first of all, the angel struck him. Did you guys notice that? Some of you, you need to pray that the Lord strike people in your life. Not dead. You're like, you're so sinful, you're like, I received that in Jesus' name. No, man, I don't mean dead. What kind of Christians are you? But Peter, Peter had a little problem. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when it was time to pray, he was sleeping. What was Peter doing in the prison cell? He got comfortable and he fell asleep. And some of you, you have family members and loved ones and children that I believe God needs to wake them up. Give them a little nudge, you know what I'm saying? Because that, that word strike literally means, yeah, it, that word strike, it literally means to inflict a little pain. And when he felt that, what happened? He woke up. And I believe in Jesus' name, you need to surrender that person to the Lord and let him inflict enough pain to wake them up. That's one prayer you can pray. You like that prayer? The Bible says, all of a sudden, without trying, the, ch the chains fell off. You know that prayer can open up and break chains. Chains are a symbol of bondage, and maybe you're in bondage to something. You're in bondage to a particular bad habit, addiction, an attitude, anger, depression. You're in bondage, and you're trying everything, and you're going to doctors and medicine and psychology, whatever, and I have nothing against that. But if you're not going to God, and you're not praying for something you have not been set free from, what are you waiting for? The Bible says not only did the angel strike Peter and the chains fall off, 
But the Bible says that light shone all over the cell, implying that it was dark. And you see, in the Bible, darkness not only represented sin and immorality, but it represented a time where you were lost and you couldn't see where you were going. And God says, and light shone on that cell. And maybe some of you, you have decisions you need to make. You have choices. You're not, you don't know what to do. Could it be that God is saying, if you would pray, I would shine light where you need guidance in? The Bible says, and the door suddenly flew open. And in the Bible, that open door is always symbolic of opportunity. And maybe you need to pray for the Lord to open doors that need to be opened and close doors that need to be closed. And my favorite part of this story is that when Peter came to his senses, he thought he was dreaming, but he thought it, he saw that it was actually happening. And I don't know about you, but I want to reach that point in my life that it's so awesome, I think I'm dreaming. But that's what prayer does. We're praying. But no one in that church knew it was happening. That's why I'm grateful. i got to be honest with you. On Wednesday night, Maria and my mom and Dennison, they'll get for years now. Just them. Sometimes someone, I don't know, but the main people is them. Sometimes Cheryl, his wife, joins, and they're in this little classroom praying. I don't know what they're praying about, but they pray. And I encourage you to join that ministry because churches have to pray for one another. Just praying. Verse 14 through 16, the Bible says something so honest that it brings me to conviction. See, the Bible says as they were praying and Peter got out, he came and he knocked on the door. She recognized Peter's voice. She was overwhelmed with joy. She ran back without opening the door. And he was left outside during persecution. That was, oh, great, you know? And notice verse 15. When she told everyone, Peter's at the door! You know what they said? You're out of your minds. This is the church. You're out of your minds. And when she kept saying, it's Peter, insisting it's he's outside. That is what so they said. It must be an angel. Peter kept talking. You know what I love about the honesty of this church? They were praying for something that deep down inside they didn't believe would happen. I've been there. Don't act like you're, oh, I, I always believe what I pray. No, no, no. The church was so honest. They said, listen, we're going to pray. But deep down in their heart, they thought he was dead. And I wonder how many things you're, you're praying for, but really deep down in your heart, you really give up on it. And you say, no, I don't think God could answer this prayer. And many of us are guilty of praying something we don't believe for. We pray for something we doubt. We pray for something, but we've lost the faith that God can do it. We pray for something that you really don't believe is going to happen. You know why this encourages me? Because God still did it. We have to stop thinking we serve a mean God that said, until you believe 100% I'm doing nothing. No, God says, I love proving you wrong. I love proving you wrong when you doubt. That's why in the Bible, Jesus came and calmed the storm down. Then he said, why don't you believe? 
That's why Jesus healed a demon-possessed boy from a father that literally told him, help me, I don't believe, because we serve a God that's in the business of getting pleasure and proving us wrong. So be honest with God, Lord, I want to pray about this, but God, I really doubt it's going to happen. And God's going to say, if it's in my will, I'll prove you wrong. And I was convicted about this because it happened to me just a few weeks ago. Let me bring you down to the story of prayer. Are you guys encouraged today? I want to tell you, I want to be honest. Since, since the church was honest about their lack of faith in their prayer, let me tell you about my lack of faith in my prayer. But two years ago, I was in Israel right before COVID. And I don't know why, but I felt compelled to buy a little, a little thing of oil like this for prayer. And I kept it in my keychain for two years. And in my mind, I pictured this, it's so funny. But in my mind, I said, maybe the Holy Spirit compelled me to, to buy this because one day it's going to be in my pocket and I'm going to see someone that's sick or blind or crippled and I'm going to anoint them with oil and they're going to be healed and it's going to be amazing and it's going to, wow. And you know what? Two years, nothing. That stayed in my pocket. I forgot about it. And my mom's dog had an accident that left him partially paralyzed. And my mom called me and said, Dad, I need you to come over and pray for Wiener Dog. And I, I'm okay with that. I was like, okay, I'll pray for the dog, whatever, right? And then she said, and anoint him with oil. And in my mind, the first thing I thought, well, I don't have any oil. Then my pocket. Ugh. I have this little oil that's literally from the olive press of Israel, and I'm going to use it on this piece of fur? This dog? But to please my mom, not God, to please her, I went over. And I opened that little thing of oil, expensive oil. I was like Judas. You know, with all, oh, we could have sold this and we could have, you know, but I was fine. And in my heart, I promise you, I laid anointing oil on that dog. And I prayed. But in my heart, I said, I just wasted expensive oil on a dog. In my heart, I'm being honest, don't judge me. I said, because the surgery was going to cost $10,000. And in my heart, I said, we better start collecting money because there's no way. GoFundMe page, I don't know what we're going to do. But God's not going to heal this dog. And a few days later, my mom was praying for this dog. And she says she heard something in his body crack. And Wiener Dog got healed. And I saw him this week in Thanksgiving in the camp. You know, we were camping and he was there running around, barking, being himself. And now every time I see that dog, I am proved wrong. That even when things are at its worst, God can even heal an animal because he knows how much it means to you. And I was proved wrong. But see, God is so... And I think, you know, my mom says, you see, dogs do go to heaven. And she says all this, this stuff. But I really believe it's because God says, I see your misery. I see you crying. I see why. So I want to heal this dog to bring you joy and show you the power of prayer. And when I saw that dog healed, I realized how small my faith was and how big my God was. And what I love about God is He proved me wrong. 
But in His mercy and grace, He saw through my unbelief and said, David, I'm going to heal him for your mom and to prove you wrong. And I prayed and I said, Lord, forgive me. But what are the odds that two years ago I bought oil in Israel because God knew I would pour it on a dog? But pray for anything. I had an old lady in our church call me over to pray for her dog. I guess that's my ministry now. I don't know. But she said her, her dog was living in sexual sin. I'm, I'm not, Mom, true story, right? And she called me over and said, my dog has tendencies that go against God. And Pastor, I need you to pray for her. And in my mind, I said, God, are you kidding me? So I don't know what your prayer is. How big, how small, how impossible it is. But I believe that when God says pray about everything, He even meant down to the dog. And if God can do that for a dog, what else can He do for your child? For your disease? For your finances? And mom called me that day to pray over Wiener Dog based on James chapter 5, verse 13. And we'll close with this. The Bible says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Let's really dive into this. Is any one of you in trouble right now? Health trouble, financial problem, trouble, marital trouble. You have a troubled child. Is any one of you in trouble? God said, pray. Pray. If any of you have happy, you say, no, I'm not in trouble, God says, and you know what? Worship. Praise. But if you're in trouble, you pray. And verse 14, he said, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church and pray for him. That's where she got it from. Call the elder of the church and pray. But we miss something about this. God says, are you in trouble? Pray. Is life good? Worship. Are you sick? Call the church. If there are two things we take for granted is prayer and church. The fact that right now all of you in this room can be in crisis and call a church and we will pray for you is something to give God praise for. Because there's a lot of people that are sick out there that have no church to call on. But you have a church that says we will pray for you. If any one of you is sick, Call the elders of the church because you have a church to call on and pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make that sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to each one of you and pray. God says if you're in trouble, pray. If you're sick, pray for one another. If you're in sin, pray for one another. Pray that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then it gives us an example. Elijah was a man like us. He prayed earnestly that he would, it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed. And the heavens gave rain and the earth produced crops. But the thing that the Bible doesn't tell you in James is that when Elijah prayed, 
It makes it sound like he prayed and it just happened. But when you actually read the story in the book of Kings, Elijah prayed for rain and saw nothing. He prayed again and saw nothing. He prayed again and saw nothing. He prayed again and saw nothing. He told his servants, go check if rain is coming. And the servant came and said, nothing, nothing. And Elijah got back on his knees and prayed five times. Is there any rain? Nothing. Okay, I'm going to keep praying. Why? Because he persevered in prayer. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. And the sixth time he says, is there anything? He says, there's a small cloud. And Elijah said, run. Because rain is about to fall. Elijah was in the in-between. But he kept praying. Until something happened. Maybe you're in a place of in-between. You're seeing nothing. But nothing doesn't mean that God is not working. Pray. Let's all stand. We're pressed for time here, but if you're here today, right now to close this series, if you're in trouble, if you're sick, if you're in sin, you need prayer, you come to this altar right now. Come on, church, don't be shy. This is time to pray. We're putting James... Right now, we're putting James to the test. You pray. You pray for that person. Say, Lord, strike them just enough to wake them. You pray for chains to fall if you're in bondage. You pray for doors to open if you need an opportunity. You pray for the Lord to light your darkness right now when you need guidance. You pray if you're sick right now. You pray if you're in trouble because you have a God that says I see your misery I hear your cry and you may not see it right now but I'm working and the prayer of the righteous is both powerful and effective so take a minute right now just one minute and pray the most impossible prayer you can think of and surrender that to the Lord. Father, hear these prayers now as we surrender them to you. You pray because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And don't let your doubt get in the way of your asking. You pray when the devil tells you it's impossible. You pray when there is no hope left. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus and no other name. Father, I pray that you take these petitions and these requests and align them up with your will. And I pray for those here this morning, Lord, that need someone in their life to be struck with just enough affliction to wake them up. Holy Spirit, I pray for those that are in bondage right now and chains to something. Father, if the chains suddenly fell, we know that these chains can fall. Father, we pray for someone seeking an open door, an opportunity that only you can give. Open doors that need to be opened that no man can shut and close the doors we do not have to enter. And Father, give light to those that are in darkness right now. Give them guidance as to what to do. But in all things as a church, we pray. And anxiety will no longer control our mind or our emotions. But we will pray about everything. Even when we doubt. Even when we're hopeless, we will pray impossible prayers because you are a God that says nothing is impossible. And Father, we do not now receive any form of fear or anxiety 
or worry, but in the name of Jesus and no other name, set us free and give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Let it guard our minds and our hearts as we continue to do your will. And we pray like Peter did, Father. We just pray that we do such a mighty work in our lives that we think it's a dream, but it's really happening. Father, open doors for our church that only you can open, Father. Break the chains of any family and marriage and child that has had them for years, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus for the people in our lives that are lost and unsaved. We pray in the name of Jesus for the crisis that we're in that has us losing sleep and joy. Father, we know that you are a God that provides. You are a God that heals. You are a God that sets free and delivers. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we cry out to you. Hear our prayers. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, say it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Come on, give God some praise. Amen. 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 That concludes our series on perseverance. I hope you guys, if you haven't memorized it yet, go back to the sermons online, listen to them as we continue to learn about perseverance.